Good afternoon, everybody. I hope you're with us today to learn a little bit about New Jersey medical provider claims. Uh, this is Greg Lois. I am joined today by my partner, Joe Jones. Welcome, Very everybody. Happy to be here. Hope you had a good weekend. And we're going to talk about some practical tips uh, for defending medical provider claims in New Jersey. Our goal is to give you uh, some really specific advice, things that you can use. Uh, and this is going to be completely live, so please uh, ask us as many questions as you'd like, and we'd like to answer as many questions as we can. We're going to try to keep this to about half an hour. Sure. Uh, so uh, let's talk about our practical approach, what we are doing uh, to defend these cases. We're going to talk about aggressive motion practice and using motions aggressively to defend these claims. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, jurisdictional defenses and how to win on those defenses. You should be winning on those, by the way. Uh, we're going to talk about looking at paid fees and not just what's being claimed or what's being billed. Uh, and we're going to talk about defending your repricer. A lot of our clients are using repricers, uh, various services. So we're going to talk about how best to use them and how your attorney should be prepared to defend them. Uh, we're going to talk about using uh, other New Jersey fee schedules. Some people might not be aware of the fact that there, those things there exist. There are fee schedules. Right. right. Uh, and we're going to talk about settlement days, which is you had great success with in the past yes. uh, on assembling large settlement days for clients. Uh, and this is completely live. So please feel free, ask us questions. We can see them popping up. And uh, we're hoping for questions uh, for cases involving you. We will not say your name. Uh, we'll just say your first name, and then we'll try our best to answer your question. So it makes it a lot more fun when people are asking us questions, so please do so. All right, a little bit about the background. Uh, first of all, New Jersey does not have a fee schedule for workers' compensation claims. Uh, the statute itself, Section 15 of our workers' compensation law, says that medical fees are to be paid at the usual and customary rate, which is uh, essentially taken by providers to say whatever they want to charge, right. okay? Um, the statute was amended in 2012 so that anytime there is a dispute about how much the provider was paid or should have been reimbursed, uh, the original jurisdiction for that is now before the Division of Workers' Compensation, which is part of the Department of Labor. So we call it Workers' Comp Court, but really it's an administrative court, right. uh, and it is now fully empowered to hear these cases. Um, usually, if you're one of our clients, you're getting a threatening letter first, right? And Not from us. Not from okay. us. Uh, <laughs> right. You're getting it from uh, claimants' attorneys, yeah. and they usually uh, include a whole bunch of gobbledygook, which we've discovered is mainly false, and they claim that you have to, they, they say something like, uh, dear person, uh, this is New Jersey, you have to pay me whatever I demand for my medical fees, and ha, 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 pay me right now. They even go to the, as far as to like attach case law and things right. that which they doesn't claim apply. support their, 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 their theory. Yeah. Right, so we found these letters to be contrafactual, misleading, misstate the law, but they're trying to scare our clients, right. essentially. So. Uh, you know, uh, the next step is uh, you don't pay it because you shouldn't be paying it. They will then file a medical provider application. Uh, this is treated like a regular claim petition, essentially, in that you have 30 days to file your answer or response. Uh, you have to be represented by counsel to file this response. Um, these are legion at this point, one yeah. in five new claims in the workers' compensation courts in New Jersey, one in five, which is yeah, a huge volume number, really gone up. are now medical provider applications. So that's crazy. Um, also, there is new case law. It was decided January 19, 2019, uh, which finds that the statute of limitations in these cases is six years. So that's uh, a lot of time. Sad. 
said, all right, we're open for the two. <laughs> Let's start talking about how we defend these and what we can do to move these cases along. Okay. Uh, so the first thing we're going to uh, let me talk to you about the, the director's memo. Uh, discovery is the most important. As much information as you can gather in these things is going to help us go a long way in defending them. Um, and discovery is not automatic in workers' compensation on these matters. It used to be that we would just ask for it, and then the director came out with a memo in 2016 saying, no, you have to ask permission from the court to serve interrogatories. Once you get that permission, then you can file, uh, serve the interrogatories themselves. Mm -hmm. And then, of mm -hmm. course, follow up with uh, discovery motions if you don't get the answers to those things. Um, so interrogatories are allowed upon motion. Uh, there's a lot of cases uh, that deal with this. In fact, the burn surgeons case and the transport driver cases talk about the type of witnesses you can have and whether you should have a doctor versus uh, somebody who handles the billing all the time and stuff. So uh, again, the more information we get on that, the more valuable that's gonna be to us when we go to a trial, uh, and if these are in fact gonna be tried. Right, and we're using those cases essentially to figure out exactly what proofs we're going to need to right. produce. I mean, I think the driver's case is really useful for that. Uh, the Vern's case is useful for saying, essentially, you want to see what was paid, not right. just what you billed. Right. Uh, and that's how we have sort of steered our interrogatories. They're very, very specific. Yeah, and you want to get you want to get payments from all sources. So we'll talk about, uh, we can talk about now, actually, but uh, what happens is the medical provider's attorneys will only provide you with proofs when upon request of their most favorable outcomes, right. yeah. you know, 80%, 90% where some, you know, carrier maybe paid that and they don't want to talk about Medicare or Medicaid payments or anything like that. Right. So you really have to get as many sources as information as possible. So we, we just jumped ahead there. We're yeah, 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 I knew that was coming. <laughs> uh, all sources of payments and that's really something not to lose track of. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about our motion practice. So we are very aggressive about filing motions to move these cases. Uh, let's be very frank. If you do nothing, uh, these things will just languish on court lists. There doesn't seem to be a huge impetus yeah, in the courthouse to move these matters. Nobody along. wants to deal with them. Uh, the, the, the judges don't want to decide them. They don't right. want to move them. They just carry them and carry them. They often tell us they don't want to conference them, go out in the hallway and figure it out. Uh, so that it's really hard to get these moved sometimes, and so right. you have to really take an aggressive approach to sort right. of get to your end result. Right. So we think the best practice is uh, file interrogatories with your answer. Okay. So filing interrogatories right. with your answer sort of sets you up for an aggressive motion practice. Right. Uh, our adversaries are the, we're not allowed to do that anymore, so we'll have to file a motion with our answer to right. serve those interrogatories. Okay. Um, 50% of the time they answer the interrogatories, they're very vague, the answers have nothing to do with what we're doing, so that right. sets us up for a motion to compel more specific answers. Right. Sometimes they don't respond to the motion for interrogatories at all, right. uh, or do not respond, and that sets us up for a motion to dismiss for lack of prosecution. Correct. Okay. Both of those motions, um, following up on those interrogatories, are really just tactical. These are tactical motions that we're doing uh, to try to tee the case up. We're trying yeah. to create some momentum, we're trying to make Life some, harder. Get some leverage to settle. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so we're very aggressive about this. We send our 14-day letter saying, you know, you've got 14 days to file your response, then we're going to move ahead with the motion. Right. We go ahead and we do that. Uh, the judge of compensation, where there is the motion is unopposed, doesn't really have discretion to keep carrying the motion. Right. Uh, the, judge got the, the court rules say the judge shall decide a motion if it is unopposed. And in those instances, we should be pushing very hard. Right. Your attorney should be pushing but, hard. But to demonstrate further about the court's apathy towards these, mm -hmm. we'll have a motion filed, we'll have our no opposition, we'll have our 14-day letter. Mm -hmm. The judge really has no choice but to dismiss, and they still want to carry them. Like, well, give them another chance. No, right. no, no other chance. It's very frustrating. Yeah, it's yeah. very frustrating to deal with. Um, all right. 
let's talk about jurisdictional claims. All Happen right. all the time. Yeah, this has been huge. Uh, in, in fact, in the last probably six to eight months, this has blown up a lot. Uh, essentially, the fact scenario is this. You're going to have an out-of-state workers' comp case. Uh, we, get, we see a lot from New York. Uh, New York petitioner or claimant, a New York accident, a New York employer. Uh, he files a New York workers' comp claim. Uh, in New York workers' comp, you get to pick your own treaters, your own doctors, so they go wherever they want in mm -hmm. New York. Mm -hmm. And what will happen is uh, oftentimes the doctor in New York will have maybe a surgery center that he sends the person to surgery for here in New Jersey. Right. They will price that bill under the New York fee schedule. They'll pay it as per the New York fee schedule, and they're done. They think they're done. The right. medical provider, however, doesn't like the amount that they get. They file a medical provider application here in New Jersey because they know we have the standard of usual and customary. And they're hoping to get more money out of the carriage. Right. And the only reason this doctor is telling people to cross the river and get treatment in New Jersey, let's be frank, is because they think I'm going to get paid a higher reimbursement right. level for right. doing surgery over here in my place. Right. Another reason is because they're probably a part owner in the surgery center where we're having this. There has been that, that bit of information. Yes, All right. But so location alone, not enough for New Jersey to have of the treater. It's no. not enough, right? No. So, so we have a mix of these. The, the, the pure ones are the only thing in New Jersey is the medical provider itself. Everything else has happened out of But you get an occasional one where maybe the guy lives in New Jersey or something like that. Um, our tactics are to do a motion to dismiss. You're going to list out all that information. You're going to ask from the clients, uh, contact a contract for hire. Where were they actually hired? Where was the employer? Where was the accident? Get all that information. List it in your motion to dismiss. So the judge literally has nothing but the location of the provider to rely upon. And he should be saying, go back to New York. Right. Uh, the problem here, of course. problem here is the judges, uh, there's no appellate division case that talks about these jurisdictional issues uh, in these type situations. And therefore, the judges rely on their own guidance, opinions. their own opinions. It's all over the place. So it's there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's, and the, the uh, medical provider attorneys like to reference this, that there's a split of three opinions from three different judges going one way and three opinions from three different judges going another way. And therefore, you know, we don't know. And, you know, and it, it, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the judges, some of the younger judges just appointed, they don't really want to make these decisions themselves uh, and they don't have guidance. Right. So they're and not so, stepping up. So to the before plate we move on, let's, let's think about the hypothetical situation. You got a New York workers comp claim, New York workers comp claimant treating in New York City. Uh, it's time for the surgery. Their doctor says, let's cross the river, go into New Jersey to my ambulatory surgery center, my same-day same surgery center. Right. Let's get the treatment there, bud. Uh, the patient crosses the river, gets the surgery in the ambulatory surgery center. They're done. Uh, the the uh, provider, or sorry, the carrier pays New York medical fee schedule reimbursement rates. Right. And then the provider files a claim in New Jersey under New Jersey's Workers' Compensation Act saying, no, 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 I'm owed more money for this. This is a workers' comp claim. Right. The number one jurisdictional argument that we have there, and it's a strong argument, is no, you don't get the benefit of New Jersey's usual and customary standard because it's a New York, we pay benefits under New York's law, right? right? So right. that's that's step zero. Uh, we then file the motion to dismiss. When that goes to the uh, the judge to decide that motion, you know, the judges are giving us the statement about split decisions, and it's right. true. There is no right. uh, controlling case law. We can tell you from our personal experience in a case that we worked on, um, when we took that up to the appellate division, we prevailed before the workers' compensation law judge in New Jersey. Right. Uh, in Hackensack, we got the case dismissed for lack of jurisdiction under those facts. Uh, our adversary, the applicant's attorney, the attorney for the medical provider, appealed up to the appellate division. Right. Uh, they wrote a crazy brief. It was crazy town. Uh, that brief was citing the, the Constitution and <laughs> due process and all sorts of crazy things. Right. Our brief was very simple. Nope, they have a remedy under New York law. 
right? They have a fee schedule. They don't like the fee schedule. There is a process that they can apply. And there's case law that says in New York, we have good cases. There's the Bauman decision. There's other cases that say where it's a New York workers' comp case, you get treatment in another state, and you have a dispute about how much you should get paid. New York's the right forum right. for that decision. Right. And they often, in those letters we talked about that they sent to our clients, they often say, like, we have no avenue to dispute this bill in New right. York. It's misleading. Which is, which is misleading. And I've actually seen that in law in legal briefs written by some of these law firms who only represent applicants. They tell the workers' comp judge in New Jersey, hey, if you don't give us money here in Jersey, if you don't make us whole, there's no there's nothing remedy, we can do. Right. which is untrue. It's absolutely misleading right. the New Jersey courts. Uh, but in our case, went up to the appellate division. Our adversary filed this crazy brief. We filed a very simple brief, which uh, we've made available actually to other members of the defense bar. And uh, in that brief, we said, look, there's no jurisdiction here. Well, the day before oral argument, our adversary withdrew their appeal because right. they knew they were going to lose and they were going to get case law in New Jersey that says if you have treatment in New Jersey from an out-of-state workers' comp claim, sorry, you're stuck by whatever that out-of-state scheme is, right. you know, payment scheme. They, right. they understood that. I think that's very clear. Uh, and so we're kind of looking for anybody else. Anybody who's listening to this, you got a case that sounds like that, that needs to be appealed. You want someone to take it up for you. Well, we already wrote the briefs. Uh, just let us take us all the way. I think we'll make good case law on yeah, that issue. So, this does um, need to be decided at some point. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so win on jurisdictional claims. Second thing is look at paid versus billed, right? We're not interested in what these crazy pants are putting into their medical uh, bills. Uh, we, you and I were in Nebraska two weeks ago, and our clients were telling us that one of the medical providers was charging them over $100,000 right. for a surgery that was, you know, very minor, a very routine surgery, let's call it, call it that way. Uh, maybe you're a great surgeon, but yeah, there's no such thing as $100,000 surgery uh, in the real world on some of these very routine matters. So let's talk about what you actually get paid. I don't care what you build. You could build a million dollars for a 20-minute surgery. I don't care. We're going to look at what's paid. Someone needs to advocate for that. Uh, let's look at all sources, right? Uh, we're going to ask this doctor, hey, do you take Medicaid? Do you take Medicare? Do you take private health insurance? Do you take cash payers? Uh, you know, what other, um, you know, uh, sources of payment do you get? Because I want to look at all of them because that's going to be really useful for us. Um, next. Uh, we don't let uh, our adversaries get away with cherry picking. They're going to come back to you with these crazy demand letters where they've cherry picked the one time some, you know, confused insurer paid 95%. Right. And right? say that's the standard. That's what we And get. that's not the standard. That's that's nuts. Uh, you know, that's really out of line. Um, we should also be arguing against special emergent circumstances, special expertise. In fact, there's case law on this right now. Uh, the driver's case, which we've included in today's uh, handout, uh, and then you can download it from uh, this go to webinar right now. That case really specifically says, hey, you can't call yourself a trauma center, trauma surgeon, get paid more money for the same exact surgery. There's a schedule. Right. Right. One, of the, one of the tactics the attorneys sometimes use in court is when a, some kind of specialist has done something. They right. almost want to give me a CV. His resume of like, well, look how amazing this doctor is. Which is why he should such be a paid case. more. Yeah. That case, drivers, it's, you know, you've got two surgeons who came in, do $100,000 worth of, of treatment. And, you know, they're claiming all this special expertise. Who cares? You know, who cares? Okay. Uh, so there's case law on that. Let's talk a little bit about defending the repricer. All right. So uh, sometimes the, the carriers or the clients will use repricers. They're, they're basically companies who uh, they might have some kind of software or some kind of analysis where they, they gather all the information for you and they sort of come up with what they think is a usual customary for that type of area. Um, it's really important that if you're using one of these repricers, you let us know. Uh, so communication is really important. We, <laughs> right. need to, we need to know what's going on. Um, if you have the documentation from them that they've sent you, that may be included as in resulting in your explanation of benefit or your explanation of review form, uh, let us have that information. Sometimes we can even contact them directly to sort of figure out what they, how they came to their uh, conclusions about what's fair and what's not fair. 
they use a lot of statistical empirical information um, that, and we kind of need to know how they, again, how they go about what funnel they're using to come up with the number that they have. Right. So it's really important that we do that. Um, again, let's talk about the, they use accepted payments in other cases, but they, they're much more fair in gathering as much information as possible. Right. They'll use Medicare and Medicaid standards, which are generally lower, uh, rather than these sort of cherry picked really high amounts to come up with it. Um, be mindful that uh, when we go to court and we sometimes present this information, that many of these repricers have their own proprietary inf uh, software and stuff that they use to come up with these formulas. They're not just going to turn that over to us. They're not going to tell us the secrets of how they came up with their numbers. Right. So right. we have, as an evidence, we're looking for an evidence to issue. How they came right? To it. Yeah, yeah. Really we have to. We can't just be like, here's the software, Judge. You know, run it on your computer and you can see too. So uh, there are some proof problems sometimes that come up with that. All right. Uh, how about using other fee schedules? So Wait, there's fee schedules in New Jersey? There are, right. So uh, not everybody knows this, but New Jersey does have a PIP medical fee schedule. Yes. Uh, and that is found in the statute. Um, that has been the subject of multiple challenges up and through 2015. There was appellate case law. There is now very good case law that the Department of Banking and Insurance has the ability to set fee schedules. And if you look at that fee schedule, man, what a great fee schedule. It really covers everything that we are going to see typically in a workers' comp case. Because um, think about it, PIP is for um, motor vehicle accident uh, injuries and treatment. And it provides pathways of treatment and also provides uh, what everything should cost. Well, this is awesome because the kind of accident injuries you see in a motor vehicle accident are very analog, uh, very congruent with the kind of injuries that we're right. going to see in a workers' comp case. So basically everything is covered. Um, there's five or six different schedules. So there's a physician ambulatory surgery center fee schedule, a hospital outpatient uh, schedule, a ambulance, home care, dental, durable medical equipment fee schedule. Uh, and actually, we're out in Nebraska. We're talking about this with our client, and we're going through the fee schedules to find lumbar surgeries and cervical surgeries because right. those are the ones right. where we see these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of costs. So the PIP schedule for low back disc surgery, $13,940 in the north. I mean, that's much more palatable, and by the way, much more in line with reality right. than the $200,000, $150,000 that we're seeing charged by surgeons for a two-hour surgery. I mean, these things are way out of line. And if you're wondering where that's found, in the PIP schedule, uh, page 12 of the hospital schedule. So uh, in today's uh, materials included with the webinar, we provided uh, a copy of just some selections from the fee schedule so you could take a look at them. Yeah. But what a good place just to have a starting point, just a reference. And yeah. it's a New Jersey specific right. cost. And it's, and fee. Uh, the, the fee schedules themselves are a little confusing to look at at first, but once you start to flip through them, it makes more sense. It breaks it down to north versus south region and stuff. But uh, interestingly, before we met and before I started working here, I had done uh, plaintiff's work on with auto accidents. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, the issues in the PIP fee suits that I had back then were always just whether the fee schedule was applied or not. It wasn't whether the fee schedule amount was reasonable or anything like that. So a, a lot of times in the motor vehicle setting, the providers uh, bill above the fee schedule amount and they're trying to get more money. And right. we would just shove the fee schedule up there and be like, here you go. That's the amount. That's all you get. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, it, it's just a question of apply the fee schedule. Right. And And it also gets to the point of, you know, we want to pay $2,000 for the surgery. The bill's $150,000. Right. Well, the middle of that, $75,000 or whatever the middle point, isn't actually the right number. Right. But what is the right number? And so, you know, looking at some of the, looking at those types of fee schedules is useful. Uh, there's also private uh, fee schedules. So, for example, not really a fee schedule, but a pricing 
uh, data bank, there's Fair Health, there's Nginx, uh, there's something called Wasserman, and the reason we put Wasserman in there is because it's specifically referred to in the driver's appellate right. decision that we included in today's materials as well. Uh, so there are places for us to go and find some of these schedules that we can look into. Um, and it's also interesting to note that in the transport driver case, uh, the physicians should not be charging higher costs, higher fees, or getting reimbursed at a higher rate for trauma or for emergent care or for specific expertise. That's really important because we go to court and I'm sitting across the table from my adversary who's representing the applicant. They're I mean, they've done things like take out the CV and show, well, wow, what an excellent right. surgeon this is. an amazing is. surgeon that did or, this. It was a horrible accident. It was, and all those things might be true. Right. But it doesn't matter. I don't care. Right. I don't care. I don't care. All right. Uh, so let's go on to some settlement strategies and let's do some do's and don'ts because I like to give some real practical advice before we get into questions. So in case you haven't seen it coming across every single slide so far, we're going to do questions next. Please put your questions together. All right. Uh, first do's and don'ts. Don't accept the cherry pick the mounts. They're going to pick the high ones, the 90s, the 70s, the, the 80s saying, oh, pay me this because that's what these people paid me. You don't right. just simply accept that. Yeah, and if you look at that driver's decision, that's what they did. They said, look, we were paid at the 75th percentile. We want the 95th percentile. Right. Okay, you know, we yeah. all want what we want, you know. Um, okay. Don't waive discovery. Right. Don't waive it. You got to do everything. You got to get as much information as you can. Your counsel should be filing the motions to ask for permission to serve uh, interrogatories, filing those interrogatories, following up motions to dismiss, motions to compel, if they're not getting anywhere with getting that proof. Don't accept arbitrary splits. Okay, so the judges, <laughs> because they don't like these cases, the judges will often, we, we refer to it in the legal world, it's a horrible term, but split the baby. Um, they'll just say, well, you know, you want 100,000 and you paid zero, I feel like 50,000 sounds good, because they just- Actually, it's worse than that. They'll go, 100,000, you guys paid 10,000, so pick something between 10 and 100,000. Like, they've already won, because the baseline is never zero. Right, right, I mean, right. yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah, yeah. So they'll just, They'll throw some random numbers out there, or they'll just tell you go out in the hallway and come up with some random numbers. Uh, they really, there's no basis for it whatsoever. Right. They're just trying to help compromise with no rationale behind it. Doesn't it. work. They it just doesn't don't work. want to talk about them. So, and, and particularly, we've actually I've heard uh, other defense attorneys say, "Well, I just tell my clients pay 65% of every bill." Right. 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 What? I mean, that's, that's right. crazy. Right. That's, so then yeah. that's just going to encourage our adversaries to create even higher demands. Right. right. I mean, that's right. just that's nuts. Uh, okay, doing your homework. Look. Yeah. Uh, your attorneys have to be conversant with, hey, is there a fee schedule? What should, how should these things get priced? How is a normal bill paid? What's the CPT code? All this stuff that you got to know now, right. uh, because it turns out like one in five cases in the New Jersey workers' comp system is now a medical fee yeah, issue. It's, it's. I don't think any of us ever thought we'd be dealing with medical provider apps as much no, as we are now. No. Yeah. Uh, use outside references. Again, in New Jersey, we have the PIP fee schedule. Uh, it is very, I think, a very helpful guide as to what really should be paid for that service. Mm -hmm. uh, we rely on it all the time, we reference it all the time. Uh, and when we're talking to judges, saying, look, judge, they've already accepted this amount in a motor vehicle accident. It's the same type of injuries we have in workers' compensation. Why should we pay anything different than that? And this um, is one you've had a lot of success with. Okay, so settlement days, yeah. Um, it's very useful in a couple of different ways. Uh, we've contacted our adversaries on a couple of occasions. We've had a settlement day. We had a very successful one last year uh, with one of our adversaries. You basically have all your cases pending, you bring, you try and resolve them all together. Uh, from their perspective, it's great because they get paid when their cases close and their providers get paid and they get a percentage of that. So for them, it's a big, big payday. They can close a lot of cases. Uh, from our perspective, it's good because we have the leverage of a number of cases to close at the same time. So if you are looking at you know, uh, uh, 10 versus 50 cases you might close, 
Well, if you got 50, you're going to close. That gives you a lot more leverage in terms of maybe getting those numbers down to where you really need them. Right. And you had one recently and you closed like 90% of the cases, right? Yeah. Yeah. We were able to resolve most of them that way. Right. So, so always a good useful. suggestion. Yeah, settlement days are useful. All right. Let's do some live questions. I'm hoping people have been paying attention, have been typing in their questions as we've been going along here. And let me open this up. So if you haven't typed one in yet, please do so now. Uh, okay. So let's begin. Okay. So Joanne asks a great question. Uh, there's a six-year time limitation. When does the counting begin? The date of loss, the last date of payment, or the date of treatment? It's pretty clear that it's the date of treatment. And in the appellate decision that came out on this, the Maloof versus Chevy decision that we put in today's notes and the download materials, that decision, which came out in January 19th, said it was manifestly unfair to the provider uh, to give a two-year statute of limitations from the date of loss yes. uh, or even from the date they provided treatment because they have no idea what's going on in the case. The workers' comp case could resolve or not resolve, and they have no idea. Uh, and so it is six years from the date treatment is rendered. Yeah. And interesting, the theory in that case, essentially, uh, the theory for a two-year statute of limitation is we, you know, the, the respondents were trying to essentially say that the medical provider should be like the petitioner, stand in the petitioner's shoes, and then have the same rules under the statute apply to him two-year statute of limitations, jurisdictional mm -hmm. questions, whatever. The court didn't accept that. That was my it has, Yeah, it has, it has nothing, nothing to do wrong. with the petitioner. A medical provider is not a petitioner. And it basically just said, look, it's it's six years contract. Yeah. Um, that's how it was all the time before workers' comp basically made this an exclusive jurisdiction. And we're sticking with the six years. So. Okay. Gail asked the question, uh, is this for all New York claims with treatment in New Jersey? What about if the claimant lives in New Jersey? Do we pay New York fee schedule or New Jersey usual and customary? Okay, so I've got a lot of clients uh, in New York, and what I tell them is this. Uh, if it's a New York workers' compensation claim, regardless of where the treatment is rendered, pay the fee schedule. They have a right, because the treatment's rendered out of state, to come into the New York workers' comp court, and they can file their HP1s. They can argue, hey, I'm owed this, I'm owed that, um, and you know, have it resolved by the New York workers' comp court. The New York Workers' Compensation Board retains jurisdiction. So if the out-of-state provider believes that they are due more, they have an avenue for uh, additional payment, and that would be uh, pursuant to the New York Workers' Compensation Law. And there's there's case law. Now, the, the board can actually pay them more than the fee schedule, right? right? So right. Then it's not that, oh, I don't like getting paid under the fee schedule in, New York, in Jersey, so I'm going to... I will, I'll bring it in New York, but you know, that's what the board can uh, award them more than what's in the fee schedule. So that's good for them. Right. And the case on that is Bauman versus J and J. Again, that's also in the handout notes. So that's how that should work. Um, okay. Andrea asked a great question, which is, uh, oh, oh, I lost it. Okay. Here, how long should it take for a decision to be made on one of these claims where the claimants doctors in New York, but the, but took the claimant to a surgery center in New Jersey. Okay, so that's the classic, right? And I think what you're really just saying is like, how long do these medical how provider claims take to be get resolved? Forever. <laughs> right, it's ridiculous. Forever, yeah, it's ridiculous the amount of time. Uh, again, because the courts don't want to handle, the, the judges in particular don't want to handle these, uh, they don't want to know anything about them. They just, they, it's literally like, don't talk to me about this come back in you know four months and we'll talk again or not talk again right yeah they get <laughs> and they're, they're hoping you get so frustrated you just pay money to get rid of them um so it can go on for months we have some that go on for years because it's just taken so long right uh even when we're at the point where now we're we, we say all right we're trying this 
trying to get the judges to schedule the trial dates on these are, are horrible as well. So it just takes a long time. There's a lot of resistance uh, that we're working against in the court system itself. Right. And New Jersey's whole system is based on tons and tons and tons and tons of adjournments. So uh, this is unlike other states where you go to court and you walk out of there with an order the same day and the judge uh, really, they're pretrial conferences, and they're very comfortable pushing and pushing and pushing these right. things along. So, right. I'm sorry, Andrew, but the answer is it really depends on the case. Uh, they should be resolved rel relatively quickly and relatively easily. These are not, you know, uh, it doesn't take a legal eagle to figure this stuff out. Right. Uh, this is, but it is an area where there is not good firm case law for people to th sort of hang their hats on. Right. And so, be whenever there's a gray area, uh, everyone just drags their feet. Basically, what goes yeah. on. I mean, at a minimum, it'll take at least a couple months of the exchange of discovery back and forth while you get, you know, assuming the you have active parties on both sides that are willing to get the documentation you need. But yeah, they can go on a long time. Okay, Michelle says, what if we don't have control of the defense? Uh, what uh, many of our uh, medical provider applications are handled by a defense firm that's hired by our repricer. Uh, we only get the results, and usually they pay 50% on top of what is already being paid. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're not specifically addressing that. And, and again, that repricer has decided to take on the cost of defending any challenges to the reprice. Uh, and unfortunately, you don't have the choice of counsel, but you can use these tactics. So there's nothing secret about these tactics. In fact, uh, when we're putting this together, one of the impetuses is, is I write the New Jersey practice guide, which is relied upon by attorneys and judges uh, for LexisNexis. And we're putting together a new chapter uh, on this and we're saying, let's just share these ideas with everybody. These sure. tactics can benefit everybody. So you can certainly uh, share them with your current defense attorneys. Uh, Andrew asked the question, what should a law firm uh, be charging to defend the New Jersey claim petition? Uh, nope, I'm not answering that one on the air, but we are time and expense, not flat fee. Uh, Emmy. What is your experience with how much weight the workers' compensation judges seem to give the PIP fee schedule argument? So it's all over the place. Yeah. Uh, Emmy, great question. Uh, does it work? Does it not work? Well, first of all, it's better than nothing. Okay. Two, uh, some of the judges, the workers' comp judges, have experience with handling PIP claims right. when they were in private practice. Right. And so they, they like understand yeah. how this works. We, they understand. I mean, essentially, the argument that gets put forward by applicants' attorneys, in my opinion, this argument is this. Oh, this person sprained their back uh, and they had to get a low disc surgery. Uh, that should be, they should be paid $200,000 for a low disc surgery judge because it's just really hard surgery or something magical about it. The workers' comp judges in New Jersey have no idea that in the neighboring states that surgery would go for $11,000, $12,000. Or that under the PIP schedule, it's $13,000. And the same surgeon who's claiming I want to get paid $200,000 last week in a PIP claim took $13,804 to do that same surgery. Right. That's sort of being missed. Yeah. Uh, and so using the, the fee schedule is really just a way of bringing some reality to the situation and just say, look, nobody's paying $200,000 for a, you know, a, a simple surgery. No, nobody's doing those things. Unless there's a lot of complications or something else going on that we, you know, we could talk about, you know, that, that stuff is crazy. So just yeah. trying to bring some reality into it, I think is useful. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 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 Joanne says, can the attorney for the petitioner also represent the medical provider? Mm. Uh, there's an ethical problem. Yeah, there, right? that's because a conflict. It, it is a conflict. Uh, I write about this in the practice guide. We warn plaintiff's counsel from doing that. Uh, you're going to be standing in a situation where 
uh, when you're the petitioner's attorney, you're wanting them to gin up as much medical care as possible because that ends up with more dollars in your client's pocket. Then on the other side, you're going to be suing people claiming that they didn't pay you enough for all the surgery you're doing. There's many instances where we could perceive a conflict there, so no, we don't recognize that. Uh, uh, Dennis asked the question, your handout mentions New York State cases into our new jurisdiction. Can you seek dismissal? And if so, how can you demand the case be heard by a judge in New Jersey? Okay, so here's what you'd want to do. So you have a New York workers' comp, Dennis, case, and the medical provider, for whatever reason, uh, rendered treatment in New Jersey. And oftentimes they're luring the claimant into New Jersey, right. saying, come to my ambulatory surgery center, come get care here instead of my office in New York. Usually there's no reason for it except for they want to bring claim for uh, provider payment, uh, and they're setting up the carrier, they're setting up the employer. Uh, those are the cases where you would make a motion to dismiss for lack of jurisdiction in New Jersey. You would argue this claimant has no basis to file a workers' comp claim in New Jersey. The act only applies to workers' comp claims, not anybody who's rendering workers' comp treatment to anyone anywhere in the entire country, right? right? And for that reason, you would get uh, dismissal in New Jersey. They would then proceed under New York workers' compensation law to seek additional payment. And that could happen. New York can. But New York has got a very strict, very careful uh, fee schedule. Uh, and it, more likely than not, you'll get a much more favorable outcome as the employer, as the carrier in New York, where there's a fee schedule. And they all understand that this crossing the river makes no sense. Uh, claimant who lives in New York City uh, absolutely has access to the best health care in the world. There's no reason for them to cross the river and have their surgery done in an ambulatory surgery center. New York's Workers' Compensation Board has absolutely no tolerance for this. Uh, it's not interested in it, and they will reduce that down to fee schedule. So you're going to do better as the employer or the carrier uh, under those circumstances. Um, Patricia says, if you use a billing company and they said they have a contract with the provider in the PPO, why would the provider file for more money? Uh, we don't have the contract, uh, what should we do? So okay. we just had this cir yeah. circumstance. That's okay. actually a very good question as well, and the fact that you brought up having a PPO contract. Right. If you have a contract, please tell your attorneys about it. They need to know because that. Because you win. Automatically, you're going to go out on a workers, workers' comp court, you're going to go, oh, there's a contract here, you win. The, the, the judge will throw it right out, good news. Now, right. that gets to the communicate, 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 communicate right. area. Now, here's an issue where we've seen this a lot with the cross-jurisdictional issues. So under the New York fee schedule, uh, implants, the actual hardware that's going into maybe a, a knee surgery or something like that, is not a separate charge allowable under the New York fee schedules. Right. So the surgery center that did the surgery can bill, and, they'll, and they're, they'll be paid for that, including the implant charges. The implant company can't provide a separate bill for that. And in New Jersey, I, I guess the surgery centers are not paying the implant companies, the money that they, you know, for the bill itself, for the mm -hmm. implants, they are now filing in New Jersey saying, well, only, you know, we got no payment under the New York fee schedules. Give me money in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's that's an example of like where the, the difference occurs. Right. Like and I'll also give another good example. Sometimes I don't think these doctors even know they're suing people that they have contracts with. Right. Right. So right. Dr. E. Uh, and we're not going to say the doctor's name, but uh, we have a client who got this huge medical bill from him. Right, and they're like, right. wait, what the heck? You know, we send him a lot of cases every year. We may have a contract relationship. Why is he doing this? And the answer is the doctor and the facility might not even know they're suing you, employer, insurance carrier, somebody who's a referral source for them, somebody who sends them a lot of work. They might not even know. And the reason they might not even know is because they're just selling their accounts receivable to somebody these else's. plaintiff's law firms right. who are then suing everybody on their behalf, right? So uh, that's how that could happen. Uh, 
What happens if you ignore the claim? Mindy asks. <laughs> You'll lose. Right. Gonna, well, ultimately, judge, right? it'll take a long time. It'll but, take yeah. a long time. Yeah. Uh, but you do have 30 days to file an answer to an application for provider payment. Uh, if you don't file your answer, you could get a default judgment against yeah. you. Procedurally, the, the applicant's attorney will file a motion for default. And then once the judge enters default, meaning you haven't appeared in the case, uh, they could potentially proceed to proofs and, and get a judgment against you. Chris asked the question, how long should your counsel wait after they send interrogatories before they file a motion to dismiss when the other side doesn't answer? Okay. Interrogatories are 45 days. Correct. Yeah. So we put it on our calendar, essentially. Once we uh, serve the interrogatories themselves, we calendar out 45 days. On that 46th day, if we do not have answers to interrogatories, our motions to dismiss or compel go out. Um, and that's all you have to wait. That's right. Yeah. And it should be automatic. I mean, that's a best practice. Um, uh, James asked the question, we've discussed New York claimants treating in New Jersey. And by the way, that's what we have the most experience with, James. What about Pennsylvania claimants getting treatment in New Jersey? James, same answer. Okay. Pennsylvania has a fee schedule. So send them back. Send them back. Make the arguments. You should win on a jurisdictional issue there. It should work. Um, uh, Anna asked a question about Medicare. What happens where the payer wants to pay Medicare? Uh, but Medicare doesn't cover those services. For example, a patient gets specific treatment, Medicare doesn't uh, cover that treatment. Okay, so now you're back to the problem of, well, uh, you don't really have a bright line rule to, to fly by. That's where we would be going to the repricer. That's where we'd be looking at the databases. Right. That's where I'd be looking at a fee schedule. Right, that's why you collect as much information as you can from as many sources as possible. Because if you're missing one of the sources, at least you have some other stuff to back you up. Okay. Uh, so Ray asked a good question. Now let's end up on this one. Uh, Ray asks, how are the pro, uh, the plaintiff's attorneys paid for their work on medical provider applications? They get a percentage of what they successfully get, uh, the additional payment successfully made to the medical provider. Right. And it seems to us, uh, so that's not disclosed. That's an interesting question. Under Section 64, uh, petitioners' attorneys in New Jersey are limited to no more than 20% of right. the overall award. Right. But uh, medical provider attorneys, the attorneys representing these claim, the, the claims of the provider, there is no controlling statute, so it's unknown, and they don't have to disclose what this is. Right. Uh, what our understanding is is that they are going to medical providers and essentially bidding and saying, uh, you know, for if you know, we'll accept, we'll take eight percent or ten percent or eleven percent or whatever we recover for you as our fee. Right regardless of the size of the fee recovered. So it does seem like they're taking a percentage of whatever it is they're recovering and not getting paid on the ones that they don't recover. Okay, uh, so that's our last question. Um, we want to encourage everyone to join us for our regular webinar series. This is sort of a special event just to talk about medical provider claims. Uh, if you thought this was useful, please email us, please call us, please let us know, and we could do more on this. We are certainly paying a lot of attention to medical provider claims. It's really going to be our focus this year, I think, uh, in terms of moving the law forward in this area. Uh, so please join us for our regular webinar series, which always meets the fourth Monday of the month. And our next one is on Monday, May 28th, and we're going to be talking about uh, substantive defenses in New Jersey. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Have a everybody. great day.